very well with that beautiful song. I was going to prompt you on those repeats because not all of us read music, but you followed along beautifully. Help me return to the home of my soul. Thank you. There's a story about a rabbi who was greatly loved and respected by all who knew him. The rabbi spent one hour a day in prayer, and the people who knew him were amazed. But rabbi, they asked, when life gets busy, when there are terrible things going on in the world, and your life is full of responsibilities, then what do you do? How can you pray an hour a day? And the rabbi said, well, then I pray two hours a day. <laughs> I remembered that little story when asking myself why on earth we ministers of the Baha Four congregations chose the topic of presence at one of the busiest times of the year. Then I realized we chose the topic because it is one of the busiest times of the year, a time when mindfulness is most needed. In preparing today's message, I listened to a YouTube presentation by Matthew Crawford. A philosopher and author, among other things, Crawford has written The World Beyond Your Head on Becoming an Individual in an Age of Distraction. Crawford maintains that while our bodies are here, or wherever they may happen to be, our minds are often elsewhere. I think we experience the truth of that on a daily basis. Well, after swiping his credit card at the grocery store one day, Crawford noticed that little advertisements came up on the screen while he was waiting for the device to charge his card. Crawford determined that the amount of wait time he experienced during that transaction really wasn't necessary for processing his credit card purchase. It wasn't. Rather, that little screen had become what he calls one of the few new frontiers of capitalism. <laughs> Crawford asserts that society is attempting to monetize every bit of our headspace. In other words, it's all about money, getting us to want things, to spend, spend, spend. He tells us what we all have probably noticed already, Every surface of public space is being auctioned off to private interests. Here's a quote. Crawford states, The introduction of novelty into our field of vision demands what the cognitive psychologists call an orienting response. Okay? End of quote. So for, an exa for example, an animal will turn its head when something new enters its field of vision. And that's an important adaptation, right? Because an animal needs to be aware when a predator is near. For us human animals who watch television, a new thing appears every second. And TVs and other types of screens are everywhere. These images all around us make a demand on our time and attention. They cause this automatic orienting response. It's very difficult to suppress. Have you noticed how hard it can be to turn your attention away from a TV screen in a restaurant? We often have to be very intentional if we want to focus on the people in the restaurant instead of watch the screens. 
And it's just automatic. It's kind of a built-in response. So we have to work hard at it. In many places, there are screens right at your table. You can order, eat, pay, and play games with very little human interaction. Crawford says, the fields of view that haven't been captured for commerce seem to be getting fewer and narrower. The ever more complete penetration of public spaces by attention-getting technologies exploits the orienting response in a way that preempts sociability, directing us away from one another toward a manufactured reality, the content of which is determined from afar by private parties that have a material or monetary interest in doing so." End quote. Probably at no time of year are we more aware of this phenomenon than during the winter holiday season. Our newspapers are filled with flyers galore. Our mailboxes are stuffed with gift catalogs and requests for charitable contributions. Our senses are bombarded from all sides in any store or restaurant as merchants try to lure us with holiday specials, gift cards, and super sales. And there are the bell, bell ringers. It can be a little crazy making sometimes. So are we all serenely waiting for Christmas? Or are we hell-bent on getting ready for it? Despite the marketing appeals, I wonder if we generate enough frenetic worry all on our own. Because there are parties to give, right? There are holiday dinners to attend, trees to trim. There are wreaths to hang, presents to buy or make and wrap, maybe get in the mail. And if you still do cards, there are cards to write out. There are cookies to bake, special recipes to roll out just for the season, special clothing to wear at this time of year. You've got to get that out, get it cleaned up. There are concerts to attend, carols to be sung, friends and relatives to greet, mistletoe to be hung, candles to light, and on and on and on. There's always one more corner to decorate, one more thing to buy or make or do or give that when accomplished will tell us, yes, we are definitely and definitively ready for Christmas. And do we feel joyful <laughs> and peaceful? Or do we feel exhausted? Are we enjoying almost every moment of every day, or do we have that panicky sense that we're running out of time? How often are our bodies here while our minds are elsewhere? In the December 1st Rhymes with Orange comic strip by Hilary Price, there's an illustration of a honeybee lying on a couch in the psychiatrist's office. The psychiatrist bee says, Busy is not an emotion. <laughs> and I, I really had to laugh at that. I saw some heads nod. I think you saw it too. When I worked with children in the public schools, helping them to learn to put words to their feelings rather than act out, I talked to them about the five main feelings people have. Now, in case you haven't learned those before, in kids' language, those five emotions are mad, sad, glad, scared, who knows the fifth one? 
calm. According to many psychologists and psychiatric bees, apparently, our natural state of being is calmness. Accessing that emotional state of calm is a very important part of presence. And it's a very important aspect of our mental, physical, emotional, spiritual health. So how can we cultivate a sense of calm in the midst of a holiday rush? How can we be more present to people than to things? How can we be more present to ourselves, our own thoughts and feelings, instead of focusing our attention on our own and others' misplaced priorities and false expectations? How can we celebrate the real message of the season, which is found across cultures and religious traditions? The message of hope, the message of light returning to the darkness. One way to regain calm is to practice mindfulness, developing an intentional mindset of being present, being mindful of someone you're with, somewhere you are, something you're doing, at least once every day. And as you work on developing a greater sense of presence, you might expand that practice to two times a day. Or you might find when you notice that your thoughts have wandered away from your body that you begin reminding yourself to bring your attention to whoever you're with or whatever it is you're doing. We had a, just a little experience of that this morning with our Apple Communion. We can use ordinary, everyday experiences to train ourselves to be more present, to be more mindful. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, ho-hum, this is old news. Yes, it's older even than Buddha. But if you're like me, you will probably identify with another uh, recent Rhymes with Orange comic I saw in the Herald. The illustration showed two women walking along with their yoga mats under their arms, and one woman says to the other, mindfulness would be a lot easier if I didn't have mindful mess. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about getting away from mindful mess and creating more mindfulness. How can we facilitate inner calm? I'm sure that each and every one of you is aware of certain practices that you have that help you feel peaceful or centered. It can be taking a walk in nature, it can range from gardening to crocheting to yoga to inspirational reading. For some of us, it's the creativity of art or cooking or journaling. For others, it might be listening to or making music. Did you notice that I didn't say prayer? Some people use centering prayer to recapture that sense of inner peace and calm. But many Unitarian Universalists have a funny relationship with the idea of prayer because we can't get over the fact that you can actually pray without praying to someone or something. So think of prayer as journaling aloud or journaling in your mind instead of the traditional down-on-your-knees kind of praying you might have been taught as a child. Similarly, some 
Unitarian Universalists have a problem with meditation or the idea of meditation because something about it seems, well, a bit too religious or a bit too spiritual. I'm here to declare that each and every one of us has the ability to relax, the power to access that peaceful center that we all really do have somewhere inside us. As the song we sang earlier put it, return again, return again, return to the home of your soul. Oops, another word Unitarian Universalists don't like. But how about the second part? Return to who you are. Return to what you are. Return to where you are born and reborn again. So yes, come home to the calm space within and be refreshed. Find that serene place that is your birthright, that place that allows you to be more present to your own life and to those people and things that you love. Now I want to dispel the notion that meditation is only about sitting quietly with your eyes closed or perhaps staring at a candle or saying a mantra. There are many, many different ways to achieve that state of meditation. For those of us who like the idea of meditation but are a little bit twitchy about any associated religious or spiritual connotations we may have attached to it, there's a great book that David Weigel recommended to me. I read it this summer and I recommend it to you. It's called A Guide from the Humanist Community at Harvard, Secular Meditation, 32 Practices for Cultivating Inner Peace compassion, and joy. The author is Rick Heller. Another Rick, Dr. Rick Hansen, author of Hardwiring Happiness, The New Brain Science of Contentment, Calm, and Confidence, says this about Rick Number One's book on secular meditation. Meditation is as important for the mind as exercise is for the body. And Rick Heller offers many simple, powerful ways to get the benefits of this profoundly useful practice. I'm going to stop there. Now, humanists don't believe in God, but they do believe in evidence. And Heller's book has page after page of endnotes referencing the studies that show the benefits he, ta he touts in the title of his book, Inner Peace, Compassion, and Joy. And I know that you are capable of researching the benefits of meditation on your own if you're interested. So I ask, wouldn't you want to find and practice ways of cultivating inner peace, compassion, and joy? Who wouldn't want to feel more fully alive and aware? Who wouldn't want to escape the busy, busy pace of life and be more frequently and easily in touch with that sense of inner calm? How about you? What are you waiting for? Christmas? <laughs> I urge you to give yourself a gift this holiday season. And if you haven't already discovered ways to practice mindfulness, start with an apple. Start with your breakfast. Start with a five-minute conversation with a friend. You don't have to buy the secular meditation book. You don't even have to join a meditation group to learn mindfulness. You can establish some simple daily practices. 
turn off all your screens and devices and really tune in to who you're with and what you're doing. You can do it. You can give yourselves and others the gift of presence. So let us strive to be a community of presence, a community in which we are present to one another, a community where we allow ourselves to be in the moment together, even in the midst of our various tasks, a community that seeks to experience the transcendent awareness that we are, after all, one with each other and with all of life. As we practice giving ourselves and others the gift of presence, we begin to heal the disconnection and the alienation so prevalent in today's world. We let a little light shine into the darkness of fear and loneliness. And that's what Christmas is all about. <laughs>